7.30 p.m., a body was recovered from the Red River near the Alexander Docks. For six serial killers to be operating in that town. An Amber Alert is still in effect in parts of Canada for a two-year-old girl An Ontario woman says her father committed brutal murders and buried the bodies. Millions of dollars worth of maple syrup has been siphoned off from storage in Quebec. With the crime covered up. had planned for a year to steal it and kill its owner. You ever been interviewed by the police in a, in a room like this before? And I'm Shelly. And welcome to another episode of True North Crime. Yes, where we take crime and we make it true. <laughs> Is that what we do here? No, that doesn't make any sense. No. <laughs> well, it could. Actually, if you were inspired by fiction and then you perpetrated those crimes in real life, ah, then you're taking I- crime and making it true. Yeah, I, I guess so, I, I suppose. But, I mean, that's a stretch. That, that would be a short-lived <laughs> podcast. I don't, <laughs> I don't think it would last. <laughs> no, no, it definitely wouldn't. So how are you doing, Rachel? I oh, I had a really aggravating day at work. I already complained to you about this, just being micromanaged and given work to do that I don't feel I should be doing. And my coworker was on the exact same page as I, so we could just spent the whole day complaining to one another, and it felt really good. So. I think that I think that's like ninety percent of the population of the world out there, honestly. When you put those in the terms, <laughs> yeah. And I I tweeted it out as like, is anyone else annoyed at work today? And then this friend of mine tweeted back, he's like, that's why it's called work. It's like, <laughs> dude, you work from home. <laughs> you work for yeah, yourself, exactly. and you work from home. So, <laughs> yeah, like just just shut it. <laughs> Right, right. Well, I had a day off today. Yeah, you had a good day from the well, from the sound of it. Yeah, I went, I went hiking with a puppy and went uh, ski touring, and he had a good time. So now he's sleeping beside me. He's quite content. Good. No more, no interruptions from the dog this time. Me? Well, we hope so. Really? Like he, he is like he is passed lit out beside yeah. me. So yeah, he's he's quite happy. All right. Mm. So are you ready so- for the sweets? <sighs> Awful, terrible story. I have to say, I I I looked into this generally, um, and uh, I was quite surprised that I had not heard of this before. Yeah, me too. When I first learned about this, I'm like, how is this not on the radar? Yeah how did how did you hear about it? I heard about it from another podcast. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Should I ask which podcast? It's called Cults. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So, so just to segue that, we're we're talking about a cult. We're talking week? about a cult. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. So today we're going to learn about the Ant Hill Kids. Yes, and I don't know why they're called the Ant Hill Kids. To be honest, I will tell you why. Okay. So Not right now, though. <laughs> all right. Do you do you want to start us off on maybe like how how this started? I know it's in Quebec. Yeah, okay. Well, Quebec and Ontario. Yeah, okay. And what's the French definition of anthill kids? They, no, they were, that's, it's an English name. Oh. Yeah, they had, they made an Anglo name for themselves. So they are the anthill kids. There's no Quebec, there's no French translation. Oh, that's so against the law. Or French version. <laughs> <laughs> they, should, they should be best. I think they were around before the language laws came into effect, so. 
Uh, yeah, I guess they would have been. Yeah, because I think it was <laughs> like in the 90s, late right? Seven, yeah, late yeah. no late seventies. The language laws came really? in. Oh. Yeah, I oh. thought that was a Trudeau era, a Trudeau era like bilingualism thing. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I have no idea. Anyway, Ant Hill kids <laughs> against the law. Bam, branding it. <laughs> there we go. Okay, this is a long story, um, and I'll say we. I don't. We've never actually put up a disclaimer before. Uh, but I will this week. This story contains child abuse and child sexual abuse. So if and abuse in general and, and a lot and of other, violence. Yeah, holy shit! Like it's rough. Um, so just just be warned. Yeah, you're you're in for a rough ride. Yes. that is for sure. Okay, so police in Ontario and Quebec describe the Antill Kids as the most bizarre and violent cult in the history of Canadian crime. <laughs> Off to a great start. Uh, so the leader of the Antel Kids is a guy named Rush Terrio, and he was born in 1947 in a tiny little village near Chicoutimi, Quebec, uh, but he grew up in Thetford Mines, which is south of Quebec City. Uh, his father was a staunch supporter of an ultra-right-wing Catholic fringe group called the White Berets. Yeah, good start. Yep. Um, so, growing up in this oppressive milieu, Terrio came to hate Catholicism. Big surprise there. Yeah, but knowing a lot about religion. But knowing it well. Okay, so Terrio quit school after grade 7. Um, I think this is more because his school stopped at grade 7, and then he just didn't, like, enroll in a new school for grade 8. Is that because, of the, and, like, a lot of... As I understand it, the the small communities sometimes don't have schools that you can easily that are easily accessible, as well. Um, I honestly don't know, but like Thetford Mines, I mean it's it's a small-ish community. I'm sure they had like a junior high and a high school, um, but for whatever reason, he just didn't go. Isn't the law in Canada that you have to attend school until you're 14? Uh, or in, in Ontario? I have no idea. I don't know. There is a law. There is about a law. like an age or a grade yeah. at which you can drop out. Yeah. I think you can leave in high school. Yeah. Well, you can leave when you're 16 by your own volition. Mm-hmm. But until you're 16. Like your parents can take you out of school? I don't know. Actually, maybe it's 18 because I remember signing my own notes at some point. No, at 18, you can sign your own notes. And I remember having a fight with my parents about this. Yeah. Because when I turned 18, I brought home the consent form to sign my own notes. And there was this, a box that you could check. It's like, you know, I give my child consent to sign their own forms, but I need to be uh, appraised of her performance in school. And I... What? I took great offense to this. I didn't want the school keeping tabs on me and telling my parents about my marks. So they never signed the consent form. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> really that's a sticking point. Yeah, that is a big sticking point. <laughs> but there, there, I know there's a lot at what point you have to attend school. I'm just not sure what it is. And honestly, like, maybe I'll have to look this up in the future because yeah. I think it'll be interesting. But I'm, I, I'm sure it's younger than 18. Oh, I'm absolutely positive because it's with parental permission, right? So, obviously. But if your parents wanted to pull you to school and have you work on the farm and so on and so yeah. forth. But I think it's like you can't just have child labor. Your your child is obligated to go to school to certain, until a certain age. Yeah. Well, clearly after grade seven, it wasn't a big deal in this case. Yes. <laughs> so, <All right. laughs> um, yeah, so he left school after grade seven. Uh, but he took up reading the Bible. 
specifically the Old Testament. And apparently he was quite proud of himself for this, for reading the Bible on his own. And like, I don't know, it was oh. quite, quite the zealot. Okay, can you clarify? Bible for, study. Can you clarify for me Old Testament? Is, like Catholicism is on the New Testament? Yeah, so Christianity and, is New Testament. And like Judaism is on the Old, Old Testament. Okay, yes. thank you. All right. For for me, who's like religiously illiterate, <laughs> but like Old Testament Christians, yeah, um, are like there's a lot of Jews for Jesus. <laughs> there are Jews for Jesus, <laughs> yes, which there is are. I, anyway. I, I'm not getting into that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so my understanding, um, so yeah, Jewish people, we read the Old Testament, mm. um, and like and well you've come to show with me it's very celebratory yes and in my limited understanding of um christianity and catholicism their take on the old testament is a little less celebratory and a little more like you better watch out because the old testament god is an angry god and he's got his eye on you so you better watch your step boy like that kind of thing Right. Okay. Yes. All right. I understand that. I, although I have to say, having been to like both Catholic and general Christian and Jewish services, I've been to a lot of services in my life with a lot of different religions. The one thing they all have in common is that you have to like stand up and sit oh, down yeah, all totally. the time. And I am totally convinced <laughs> so you don't fall asleep. <laughs> Probably. And that segues into our story. <laughs> so. Or our case, should I say? It's not, really <laughs> not falling asleep. Yes, that will come yeah. up. Yes. Um, okay, so Terio. Oh, is that a good segue, Shelley? Yeah, Excellent. not Thank bad. You. I'll pat myself on the back. <laughs> Terio got married in 1967, uh, and he had two sons with his wife, Francine. Uh, during this time, he developed stomach problems. I think they were ulcers, and he needed surgery. Complications from the surgery resulted in lifelong digestive problems. Uh, so, you know, he took to drinking as a form of self-medication because, why Oh, not? that's such a good idea. Yeah, I know. Like, drinking doesn't bother your stomach at all. No, not in the least. Uh, he also became <laughs> obsessed with medicine and he started reading medical textbooks and he approached this new pursuit with the same zeal he showed with reading the Bible. So he would just <gasps> devour medical books. Oh, I can yeah. see where this is Even going in a bad way. way. Oh, it's, <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so... <laughs> During his marriage to Francine, Terrio started acting kind of weird. Uh, early in their marriage, Terrio insisted Francine wear long dresses whenever she was in public. And then he changed his mind and he let her wear miniskirts. And he asked his in-laws if he could open a nudist camp on their farm. Can I point out that this guy seems to ch- change his mind a lot? A lot, yes. yes. Um, so uh, his in-laws said no. Uh, no big surprise there, I guess. <laughs> Terrio joined the Aramis Club or Club Arami, which is basically like the Quebec version of the Shriners. Oh. Um, so I guess like wanted to be part of this group, maybe because he'd grown up with his dad being in this group, but I don't know. Anyway, so he joins the, Shr- the Quebec Shriners, the Aramis Club, and worked his way up in the organization and eventually became head of the initiation committee. Wow. Uh, and but it wasn't long before people began to question whether he was right for this job. Because well, here we go. Quoting someone who knew him back in the day, 
He wanted to change the rituals. He wanted the new members to wear the image of Satan on their backs and all kinds of weird stuff. Roche is a guy who always wanted to become a leader, but just as he would get to the top, people would turn on him because he tried to change things and bring in weird ideas. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Terio was stripped of his leadership, um, and after that, he lost interest in the Aramis Club uh, and joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Okay. I don't know what that means. What is... So you know what the I, don't, is? I don't know a lot about the Seventh Day Adventists, but um, here it says here he was attracted to the church because of their healthy living doctrine. So I think it's vegetarianism and uh, no booze. Uh, so yeah, liked that idea and also had a fire and brimstone view of God and life on Earth. Right, which would uh, go to his whole and, like, like upbringing. Into, yeah, <laughs> and like they were into the apocalypse. Oh. So that had that had some appeal. What type of apocalypse? Zompocalypse? Regular apocalypse? <laughs> no, I think just like There's so many to choose from. Regular, <laughs> plain old, run of the mill apocalypse. Oh. oh. <laughs> so passe. <laughs> right. So the Adventists really liked Terio. Um and their church proselytizes by going door to door handing out literature. Right. So like Jehovah's Witnesses yeah. and so but, like, they sort of sell people in heavy, healthy living. That's kind of, like, the way in. Oh. Um, no wonder they never came to my house. Right. There's <laughs> <laughs> a raging kegger every weekend. It's hey, like, well, hey, you know the religious like... people love to try and convert me. <laughs> they do. They single you out. It's so weird. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't know why, but everybody <laughs> thinks I need to be saved. Um, so, Terrio is really, really good at this door-to-door stuff. Oh, God. Um, he'd always been very really? curious and very charismatic, so he was sort of like a naturally talented salesman. Uh, the church promoted him to leading these uh, anti-smoking seminars. Right. Uh, but of Not course, a bad thing. Not Yeah, not bad. But again, this is sort of a way to get people into the church. Yeah. Uh, Terrio, was, he wasn't quite satisfied with this new kind of leadership role. Um, he wanted a more important role higher up in the church. Right. He's a climber in general, though. He That's is, what always yes. brings him down, right? Um, also, he started wearing a hooded monk's frock. Oh. So there you go with those weird ideas. So, like, hooded monks, like... Uh... You know, like, what a, like a monk's cloak, right? It's like this brown ankle-length thing. Right. I'm thinking of a particular type... Um... Thinking of Friar Tuck? No, I'm thinking, I'm thinking <laughs> of Francesca, uh, Franciscan monks. Oh. That's what Tuck is based after. Okay, yeah, so something like that then. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's that's where our history okay. comes in handy, but We're that's it. That's all, I know, that's all I know about religion. <laughs> <laughs> so it was through these anti-smoking seminars right. that Terrio gained his core group of followers. Most really? Of, yeah, most of whom were young women. Uh. So, unsurprisingly, his marriage tanked. <laughs> uh, he was having financial troubles. He was cheating on Francine with a woman named Giselle. So Francine divorced him and just left Terrio. Giselle him. or Giselle? Giselle. I know someone else who had a wife named Giselle. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I'm sure it's a very common name. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, so, it's 1977, Terrio is divorced, 
Um, he moves... What does it say here? He moves himself and his eight live-in followers by this point, which includes Giselle, to St. Marie de Beauce. So how did, like, do we know how he ended up with these followers that were so devout that they would follow him? Like, he went from non-smoking to, like, come move on a piece of land with me? Well, okay, so um, I read, a, like, you know, I, I kind of, I do what I can to kind of glean the truth from all these different sources that I read. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, why, that's why I like you. Yeah, oh, thanks. No, no problem. <laughs> Nothing else, just no, that. Just that one reason. Just that. Makes sense. So, um, so while he was, um, still married to Francine, he was cheating on her with this Giselle woman. Uh, and as I said, he was like really charismatic giving these seminars. And so I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of somebody who's like really charming, Mm -hmm. you kind of feel like you have a connection with this person. Yeah. And it's all very one-sided, of course, because he doesn't feel the same way about you. He's just a charmer. Mm. Um, but you think there's something there. There's something special. And so these women... I think I slept with someone like that in my <laughs> year 20s. <laughs> these women sort of gravitated towards him. And they would spend more time together. And over the weeks or months or what have you, eventually spending time together turned into all living together and from a, they would start it started off as just they'd kind of like party together and then crash at Giselle's place mm-hmm. uh, and then eventually I guess people just wait wait party like, together but they're like all non-drinking vegetarians right yeah but they could still hang out well I don't know I'm <laughs> just saying like party I'm not right? saying they're yeah. rolling but like you know what I mean yeah I do uh, yeah so I think that's kind of like how it happened like, it wasn't, like, all at once, but kind of gradually over time, just they'd hang out together, and then the women just never left. Okay. So he decides that it's time to move to out of Thetford Mines to St. Mary de Beauce. Uh And there, they established the Healthy Living Clinic, which is a right, health, health food store is, and alternative medicine clinic. This is still in... Um... Uh, in Quebec, right? Still in Quebec, yes. Right. Uh, so, ever the charmer, Terrio gained more followers, mm-hmm. like in St. Marie de Beauce, including a man who sold everything he owned to help fund the clinic and moved his family in with the rest of the group. They're all living together, uh, right. like in the house where the clinic was. Uh, I, and- I sometimes wish that I had the charisma of this dude, but like not in this insidious manner. I don't know. That's like... Like a Tony Robbins-esque, like, kind of... But what kind of relationships are you going to have? They're not really genuine. Well, I guess so. Right? Well, they're genuine in your mind. Like, yeah, I'm but, sure... Like, if, you're, if believe... you're the charmer, you yeah, don't I'm... really have a real connection with any of these people. Oh, I'm... But here's the thing. is like, charmer's probably genuinely... Unless you're, psycho- like, a, a psychopath. <laughs> I would think that... And these guys generally aren't. Like, the, all of the stuff that I've read has said that these guys are not necessarily psychopaths. It's like they're looking for connections and they're looking for only genuinely have their views. Like, that's they, they might be disillusioned or, uh, like, and but they're all charismatic leaders that generally, you know, are looking for a connection. So, 
yeah, these guys are. I don't know. A, this it would tire very, me out though to maintain that deep of a commitment with so many people at one time. But for some people, like for you, yes. But for some people, it gives them energy because that's what they have. They have a following and a reason and, and they have a, a genuine view of the world that is correct versus the rest of society. Well, like, I love- we'll get to that. That's something that's yeah. like, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. I'm just saying that that's like maybe, yeah, for, for, a, I would say, uh, 99.9% of us. Then yes. Yeah, but you like, veered away from your initial statement of man, I wish I were that charming too. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. I wish I were. No, I wish I were charming. I just don't want to be disillusioned. <laughs> like let's let's get that straight. I am not that charismatic. Okay, put it this way. I want to be charismatic. There you go. Because I have a friend who is extremely charismatic, and he can like charm the pants off of everyone, and it's so annoying. And everybody recognizes the fact that this guy has a charisma level of like eight million, mm-hmm. and it's so amazing to watch in action. But at the same time, you're just like, I wish I had that. But he's just a normal guy. Like he's not disillusioned. He's not. He's just. He's just a guy. And then he just. He's the guy who can talk his way into anything and anyhow and any way. And like, if it doesn't work out for him, he's like, wow, that's, that's odd. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry, go on. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. So more and more people are, um, joining Terrio's group. We've got the guy who sold everything and moved his family into that group home. Um, he wasn't the only one. Another married couple, Maurice and Jacques, they quit their jobs, moved in with Terrio. And gave him everything that they owned. Uh, is this is this in the cabin or no? This this is like a house that the clinic is in. Okay. The clinic right. and the health food store. Yeah, I know they're in a cabin at one point, but. Uh, that's later. That comes. Later. Okay. All right. Sorry. Okay. So ahead. Giselle, Terrio's girlfriend, she's growing jealous of all the attention that he's getting from all of these women because it's the it's mostly women. Uh, who are attracted to him and who are moving in with him. Yeah. Uh, so she proposes. And I guess this is sort of a way to cement their relationship. And they were married in January of 1978. Uh, meanwhile, the Adventists are growing wary of Terrio. And they approach the parents of many of these girls who are now living with him. And some of the parents even sent the police after their daughters, but the girls wouldn't leave Terrio. And this marked the beginning of a series of ultimately futile attempts by parents to get their daughters to leave him. Uh, in March of 1978, uh, a woman named Geraldine was admitted to the clinic, and she had leukemia. And she was being treated in hospital, and it was going very well. But her husband had fallen under Terrio's spell, and oh, he God. checked Geraldine out of the hospital and into the healthy living clinic, oh. where she was treated <laughs> with grape juice and organic food. Oh, that's so I know, awful. So of course, that did nothing for her, of course, and sadly, she died. And Terrio told his followers he had gone oh. into her room after she died, and he had kissed her, and his kiss had brought her back to life. But she died again because, quote, when God wants people, he takes them. Wow, that's foreboding. Um, yes. I just, I just, I can't imagine someone being like, you know, like, healthy living, fine. You have cancer. Eat some organic food. You'll be fine. Like, it's just like, do you even know? Like, I, I don't even think people know what cancer actually is. Like, cancer strip, like, it's. 
But it's not even about like what cancer is. This is just about a guy who like quite like did literally fell under the spell of this other dude who's peddling some quackery. I know, but that's the whole thing. It's like if you actually know what cancer is, you're not gonna be like eating the right food. It's not gonna just stop the you know, like the uncontrollable cell division and like cell growth, like that's because that's what cancer is, right? So it's just like he, oh, so, oh, uh, anyway. <laughs> Save it because there's more to come. Uh. Finally, the Adventist grew tired of Terio and he was either excommunicated or he left of his own accord. I don't know. I've got conflicting stories from these different sources, but whatever. Right. He was out of the church later in 1978. Mm-hmm. Um, so he turned around and married a bunch of his followers to one another. <laughs> yes, I heard about this, yes. <laughs> well, uh, there's he mar- so he marries his followers to each other, and then later down the road, he's going to marry all the women. Marry all of them. Yeah, yeah, he's just yeah. like, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm now the I'm best. Now I'm a polygamist, so yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so meanwhile, his wife Giselle is pregnant and unhappy. So she gives Terrio an ultimatum. If he won't break up the commune, she'll leave him. So what does he do? Punches her in the mouth. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so after Terrio was excommunicated from the Adventists, or left, whatever, supplies for the healthy living clinic dried up because they were still affiliated with the church. Right. And they were, de- they were like, de- just dependent on, um, on donations, right? Yes, and I think welfare. His followers huh. are drawing welfare. Che- were yeah, drawing welfare. So right. he was living off these people's welfare checks, and, and yeah, and from the church, whatever he got from the church. Right. Um. So that uh, revenue stream dries up, and he's got a lot of outstanding debts. The cops are always watching him. Uh. And in fact, the police have been keeping tabs on Terrio since Geraldine's death at the clinic. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? It's time to move. And as a way to justify this move, Terrio told his followers the world was going to end on February 17th, 1979, in a, quote, shower of boulder-like hailstones. Oh, shit. I would not have been born. <laughs> and uh, he convinced them the only way to survive the apocalypse was to revert to nature. Mm-hmm. So he led his group, which now included a bunch of children, to a remote valley on the Gaspé Peninsula and had them cut all ties to the outside world. I would like to preface this. If you don't like stories about child abuse, then now is the time to cut out. Yeah, we're getting there. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're getting real close. I can even, like, I don't know the whole story, but I can tell. Can, I, yeah, we're heading yeah. down that road. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so on the Gaspé, uh, Terrio starts calling himself Moses. Yes, and, and he has and he has names for all of his yeah, fucking followers. He, he, he has names all of his followers all. Old Testament names, like based upon their attributes as he sees them. Yes, I'm not gonna get into that. It'll just get confusing. No, I know, but I just I just think that um, as as part of the whole Control like, uh, well, when you're establishing an identity, people who are cult followers. If you're giving them a whole new persona, they adopt that persona, right? So if you give them a name, a name will help define their themselves and give you control. Yeah, yeah. 
And that's exactly what he does. So, like, you don't have to go on the bases, but I just found that interesting from the, the psych stuff that I read. Yeah. So he calls himself Moses, right? He's God's emissary. I guess he's leading these people through the wilderness. Can uh, we can we one day go through, like, a stat of, like, how many emissaries there are of God? <laughs> that would take a long time to count. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I know. So, sorry, go on. Yeah, so he tells his followers, the road to heaven will be paved in suffering. Wicked. Yeah. So the group sets about building a large communal <laughs> cabin. Way to sell it. Yeah. Terio, <laughs> of course, he doesn't do any of the heavy lifting because of his stomach problems. Um, he also rations the food. And when anyone complained, he would punish them by restricting their rations. Uh, so, yeah, I guess more control. They're hungry. They're tired. They're alone, and they're and they were, dependent on him. Well, they're dependent on him, but I think the interesting thing about this also, like, psychologically, is that they're sitting there going, like, okay, I'm doing this for a good thing. And then uh, one of the testimonies after the fact was basically like, oh, I had once thought about leaving, but then I'd sit there and say, I want five minutes tomorrow to think about this, and they would never find that five minutes. But also, they were so addled by the fact that they were hungry all the time and tired all the time. And this is like a traditional brainwashing technique that the Nazis used as well. And yeah, and it's just like well, you just you keep them busy. Yeah, you like keep you everybody. Wear them, you wear them down. It wears yeah, down you, their willpower, but you keep them busy. So there's never any time for anyone to step back keep, from the situation and be like, "What the fuck am I doing?" Yeah, and if you keep them physically busy, also mentally, it's easier to wear them down as well and keep them in shitty situations where they're always fighting. They can't, they can't actually, you know, rally themselves to think about anything against you. Yeah. But you can I will anything say, you want. During this time, though, a few people did leave, and mm -hmm. he didn't stop them. He he let them go. Oh, really? He'd probably talk shit about them after they'd gone, but <laughs> they were free to go. Wow, they're not God's chosen. Then. No. Of course not. They'll die on February 17th, 1979. Mm. <laughs> okay, right. so when the cabin was finished, Terrio commemorated their new life. Oh, here we go, by giving everybody Old Testament names, calling himself Moses. I already said that. He declared all marriages, except for his marriage to Giselle, void. And this is where he starts marrying all the women himself. Well, didn't he also marry them because one of the women come, said that the the women were getting lonely without male company. And yeah, because there weren't a lot of men. There were yeah, and so he was just like, men. well, if they're getting lonely, then they can all just be my wife. Yeah, so <laughs> I guess a way to kind of like... Uh, mitigate their loneliness. Mitigate their loneliness, yeah. Thank you. Um, so, Terrio eventually abandons his strict Adventist diet. This is about a year after moving to <laughs> Eternal Mountain, which is what he called this place. Right. Um, he starts drinking. He starts eating meat. He starts eating meat and he starts drinking. And this is when things really take a turn. Mm. So he already had a penchant for violence, but in his drunken state, he would get even more dangerous. He would deliver these long rambling sermons. And if anybody fell asleep, he'd smack their head with a wooden club. Oh, well, I do that at all my parties. <laughs> when Maurice ate two more pancakes uh, than was allotted to her, Terrio punched her in the side and broke two of her ribs. That's fucking brutal. Like, that's... She was pregnant when this yeah. happened. Yeah. Oh. He would I think often... they were 
They're like all pregnant all the time. Oh my god, yeah. So he kept all these women pregnant because he needed to like grow the tribe. Um, No, it's God's will. It's not growing the tribe. It's God's will. God's will. He would force people to strip naked and stand in the snow for like hours and hours and hours. He prostituted Giselle to a local grocer for food. Can we also? Are you gonna get to the um the child thing about? just just you wait okay because yeah. that that to me is i mean the others are gross but this is the grossest yeah there it's just this is just going to get worse and worse and worse from here on out right uh so when maurice talked about leaving terio told her husband her real husband this guy jacques to cut off one of her toes with an axe oh. when jacques refused Terio taunted him, calling him a faggot, saying he lacked balls and he wasn't a real man. Terio then threatened to cut off all of Maurice's toes himself. And so that's when Jacques took up the axe and severed one of her pinky toes. Yeah. Well, you have to say, like, the, the stuff that you sent me said that he took aim so carefully because he didn't really want to hurt her. He didn't want to hurt, yeah. yeah. As much as possible. Like, he knew he had he to. He had but... to, but he, like, you know... Mm-hmm. He, like, you don't want to do it. But after that, Jacques became Terrio's main enforcer. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so, when February 17th, 1979, came and went, and the world didn't end, Terrio claimed this was, it was, sorry, notoriously difficult to determine the exact dates from God, because time passed differently for him than for everyone else. They're living in separate time zones. I feel that way about my friends who are perpetually late, but... <laughs> They're 11 in a different time zone. Yeah. Yeah, Metric time. Metric time. (laughs) Metric time. This lame excuse was enough to keep the group together. Um, But in March, police arrested Terrio for obstruction of justice. I don't know what this is in relation to. So don't ask. Well, I'm not. I've got no more information for you on this point. But he (laughs) he gets picked up by the cops in March 1979. Um, and the court orders him to undergo psychiatric evaluation. Oh, this would bug the shit out of me, this part. Oh, man. Okay, so it totally backfires, right? <laughs> uh. Terrio <laughs> managed to sway the head of psychiatry at L'Hôpital Robert Gifford, where he was undergoing evaluation. Terrio claimed he had saved his followers from drug addiction and uh. had bettered or enriched their lives. The... <laughs> the head of psychiatry started referring to Terrio as Moses and then leveled accusations against society for marginalizing Terrio. What happened? Like, like, right? Just just because his lifestyle was different, that didn't make him crazy. I just, this is the head of psychiatry. I know there are so many things that bug me about this. Yeah. For, for so many reasons. And like, I, I, I understand he's the head of psychiatry. He's, like, trying to keep an open mind or whatever. But then you're also like, this guy is fucking, like, yeah, severed some people's totally. limbs. But they don't know that. They <laughs> no, don't know I know. about the toe cutting. Oh. Right? This is just Terrio charming the pants off the right. psychiatrist. Right. But then there was also the lack of investigation into the claims of abuse. Yeah, no, this is just he's picked up for obstructive justice. You need to undergo psychiatric evaluation. Point. Like, that's it. Right. So, Terrio was released early. <laughs> I would like to say at this point, I am all for mental health uh, experts. Um, at this stage of the game, in this case, I am not. And 
Like, as someone who has studied psychology, I am appalled. That something like this would happen? No, but, like, just generally by the people in this case. <laughs> like, the psychologists in this case handle it so badly. Well, there's another point that we'll get to later on wherein there's an, another assessment is gonna, done. I know, I know. I know. I know what you're oh, talking about. You know okay. Oh, right. I know. I yeah. just, when I read that, I was just like, you're fucking kidding <laughs> Anyway, go, anyway, go on. Okay, so Terry is released early from the hospital. He's given a one-year suspended sentence for obstruction of justice. And he has the media on his side. They portrayed him as a gentle mountain man caught up in a prejudiced and unfair system. Right? Because he's living off the grid, and it's fucking yeah. weird. Anyway, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, right. In November 1980, a new member joined the cult. So there are a number of different stories as to how Guy Veer ended up at Eternal Mountain. Um, but the one I'm most, incline, I'm most inclined to believe is the following. Right. He was sent there by the very same doctors who had evaluated Terrio oh. the year before. Yes. Guy was being treated for depression at L'Hôpital, what was it, Rob, Robert Guifal. Um, and I guess the doctors thought Terrio's lifestyle would help Guy. What? Yeah. So essentially, like, released into the care of Terrio, more or less. Um, so I'll go, although Guy was welcome. He wasn't, like, really welcome. Right. Uh, you know, on the commune. He lived in a storage shed, and one of his duties was to babysit some of the children, specifically the kids who weren't fathered by Terrio. Mm hmm. Uh, in March 1981, there was a big party because Terrio's oldest son, I think, was going to like move in with the adults. Mm -hmm. And two days later, one of these kids that Guy was watching died. Yes. And there are two versions of what happened. There's the official story accepted by the court and the version recalled by Giselle in the book Savage Messiah, which documents the Angel kids. Whoa, I want to read that, yeah. actually. Okay, so officially, one of the kids, a little boy of two named Samuel, was mm -hmm. crying that night and keeping Guy awake. Guy lost his temper, picked up the boy by the throat, and punched him in the face a bunch of times. Nice. In the morning, Samuel's head was flopping around, and his penis was swollen, and he couldn't pee. So Terrio sterilized a pair of scissors with alcohol and lanced... <gasps> oh, no. Samuel's penis to let the urine flow out. Well, the morning after that, he was dead. That's right. the official story. In Giselle's version, Samuel's face is bruised on the morning of March 24, but there was nothing else wrong with him. Right. Still, Terrio decided to operate. So, in addition to sterilizing a razor with alcohol, Terrio squeezed some of that alcohol into Samuel's mouth to use mm. as an anesthetic. And the little boy died from alcohol poisoning. Interesting. So two different stories there about what happened. All very horrible. Each, anyway. Yeah. Okay. So this little boy, Samuel, was Maurice's son. Mm -hmm. And after she heard about his death, she just turned around and went right back to work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, some months after that, a drunken Terrio got angry with Guy and decided he should stand trial for what happened to Samuel. Terrio organized a kangaroo court, uh, which found Guy not guilty by reason of insanity. 
Terio wasn't satisfied with this verdict, so he took his enforcer, Jacques, uh, and suggested that they castrate Guy. Jacques wasn't a fan of this idea, so Terio put it to a vote. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of being castrated. Yeah, I'm not, you know, not, I, not, I, I don't think we should castrate this guy. Uh, I vote to castrate myself. That's a good idea. <laughs> well, he's just he's not even like he's not even involved in this yet. No, I know, but like it's not even a key thing. It's just like, um, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, they put the castration to a vote, and the motion passes. So no big surprise, Guy. Not too keen on being castrated. But Terrio convinced him it would cure his headaches. Well, the head of a different sort, maybe. So within the commune's hierarchy, Guy is little more than a slave. And were he castrated, he would become a eunuch, which is higher up the ladder. Oh. Um, This is what, you know, Terrio convinces him to agree to this, which he does. Mm. And he writes and signs a letter of consent. Nice. So Terrio removed Guy's testicles, and he never again complained of having a headache. For many reasons, For, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, yeah, yeah what else would they remove if he complained again? Exactly. <laughs> okay, so Guy stayed on the commune for a while after that, but he was constantly tormented and beaten up by Terrio. Uh, so eventually he escaped to the village of St. Jogues. And there he told people a baby had died on the commune after being kicked by a horse. So this is Samuel again, another story about what happened to this little boy. Right. Um, so this story of a dead baby prompted the police to raid the commune. Uh, and Terrio and a bunch of his followers are arrested. Uh, and the kids who are living on the commune were placed in foster homes for a while. After the coroner determined the group was criminally responsible for Samuel's death, a bunch of them were charged with various offenses and eventually found guilty of criminal negligence, obstruction of justice, because they had burned Samuel's body, uh, neglect, and bodily harm. Mm. Terrio went to prison for two years, less a day, uh, and his followers left the commune for Quebec City so they could live near the prison where he was being held. Mm-hmm. After his release in 1984... Terrio was ordered not to associate with his cult members. So he moved everyone to Ontario. Oh. That's how they ended up. Right. In Ontario. They bought 200 acres near Burnt River, um, which is near Lindsay, mm-hmm. which is, I think, like 100 kilometers northeast of Toronto, maybe a little further away. Lindsay's near Peterborough, isn't it? I'm not sure. Anyway, no, go on. I don't on. think so. Not, not overly relevant. Oh, no, but- maybe it is. I'm trying to remember exits off the 401. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I, uh, I think the Lindsay and Peterborough exits are close to one another. Yeah. Um, okay, so he tells his followers that he'd stop drinking and there wouldn't be any more violence. And they rebuilt their commune. Uh, when they were in Quebec, the group subsisted off welfare checks, as I mentioned. But Ontario wasn't paying out because the province of Ontario viewed their group as an institution rather than a family. Hmm. And I had no idea that that made a difference, but I guess it does. Well, I mean, also, like, there... It makes sense. I think there are polygamy laws here as well, aren't there? Well, I don't think they... Like, the province doesn't know that Terrio is... Hmm. Well, I mean, he married them himself, so it's not even, like, he could... No, legitimately recognized by the state. Yeah, okay. Uh, But anyway, I guess because... Maybe Quebec saw them as a big group family, whereas Ontario's like, yeah, you're not a family. 
<laughs> so All we're right. going to withhold your welfare checks or what have you. So Terrio oh. encourages followers to shoplift whatever they needed. And they even like sewed giant pockets into coats to facilitate <laughs> the shoplifting. That's kind of amazing and terrible <laughs> at the same time. Right. <laughs> um, they began selling fruit and pastry. And this was a successful venture. And Terrio called them the Ant Hill Kids. So he like made a company and called it the Ant Hill Kids. Because right. they worked together like ants. And that's where the name comes from. Ah. Yeah, so they're like like an ant colony. All working towards the same goal. Right. And things were okay for a little while. Uh, but, of course, Tara's sobriety wasn't to last. Um, he started drinking again. And when he got drunk, he would make the women wrestle nude. He would order them to kick and beat up one of the few men in the commune. All mm-hmm. for his own amusement. Of course. Of course. Sometimes he would whip or beat his followers. Other times he would hit them with the broadside of an axe or a hammer. He would pee on them, force them to give each other rim jobs, oh. or smear feces on themselves. Oh, nice. He's, yeah, he slashed Jacques in the throat, non-fatally, and ordered him to be circumcised. Good. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, the morning after his drunken tirades, Tyrio would cry about what he'd done and beg God to stop using him as a conduit for divine justice. And I'm going to read you a letter. So his followers write him letters. Um, and, and in these letters, or the, the letters really just showcase their devotion to this guy. So here's a letter written by a woman named Solange. Good day, Moses, my master. I would have liked to have talked to you yesterday evening, but I think it is preferable to write these things down rather than saying them for fear of talking too much. I'm going to ask, I'm going to talk to you about the last fit of anger that your master exercised through you. I really believe what you did doesn't come from you, but from someone much higher. For my part, I really believe that you are possessed by a very powerful spirit. That's what I saw in what you did. The throwing of the knife, the rifle shot, the harm done to Giselle. My eyes saw things that went beyond them. My body is very afraid of all these things. I understand it very well because of the law of death in which it exists. But within myself, I am well. I am very well and very happy to belong to a real master who himself belongs to the only real master of life. Wow. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So, just to give an idea of the headspace these people are in. Okay, so, here we go. In January, sorry, 1985, Gabrielle put her infant son in a wheelbarrow and left him outside. Her, she reasoned it was an act of mercy. Terrio hated this kid and used to beat him, believing he was the son of the devil. Mm-hmm. It was clear to everyone at the hospital the baby had frozen to death. The county coroner ruled the baby had died from SIDS. He was a friend of Terrio. Uh, the Children's Aid Society already had their eye on Terrio. In 1984, Bob Gallipo, a Children's Aid Society officer, went to visit the commune with a group of cops, a representative from the Ministry of Community and Social Services, a nurse, and another Children's Aid Society officer. As soon as they got there, everyone scattered, and only Terrio remained to speak to them. 
and they said they were there to check on the kids. There were 18 of them at this point on the commune, and everyone seemed relatively healthy. Uh, Bob had this gut feeling that things weren't all right. Uh, of course, he knew more than a gut feeling. Yeah, uh, but did he do anything about it? Well, here's the thing. Like, so this this happened in 1984. So this is a year before the baby dies on the wheelbarrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they take Children's Aid Society takes a step back. They're just going to dig into Terrio, see what they can find, and mm-hmm. they come up with reports of Terrio holding babies over a cistern to scare the mothers into doing his bidding, clipping the ends off toes of people who disobeyed him, and sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, the wheelbarrow incident, from what I understand, uh, really sort of was the tipping point. And so Children's Aid was then able to descend upon this cult. And when they got there, uh, so this is now, this is after the wheelbarrow incident, uh, the mothers were given the chance to leave with their children, but most of them didn't. Right. The women wouldn't leave because they were scared. Terrio would haunt their dreams and find them and kill them. Uh, so over the next two years, as Terrio wives gave birth, the infants were removed from the cult. Hmm. So Maurice, who she's, her little boy died. Yeah. Back in the, so she walked away from the cult in 1986, taking two of her kids with her. She left her oldest daughter behind. This was like a sick deal that she'd made with Terrio. He would let her go only if the daughter stayed. Really? Yeah, and this girl was... Oh, yeah. that's so terrible. So gross. So, like, she's approaching puberty. Anyway, after spending time away from the cult, Maurice took legal action to gain custody of that older daughter. Mm-hmm. This, of course, meant testifying about the living conditions on the commune, and court records show that Terrio allegedly forced many of the children to perform sex acts on him or other adults. The kids who had been placed in foster homes during that CAS raid, they were displaying disturbing behavior, making it clear that they had been abused. And when asked about life on the commune, more details came out. Again, I'm going to warn you, this gets bad. Okay, so the kids were separated into two groups, Terrio's offspring and the rest, which had included Maurice's kids. Um, and I'd mentioned this before, kids who weren't fathered by Terrio were regarded as animals or slaves. Uh, but all the kids, regardless of parentage, suffered. Only Terrio was allowed to express any kind of warmth towards the kids. Um, but he wasn't a loving person any, or even kind, as we already know. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes he'd hold two different women's kids over a fire and threaten to throw one of them in, forcing the women to beg for their child's life, and he just, like, I guess derives some sick pleasure from that. Um, the kids had no education except for whatever crazy bullshit Terrio taught them. They were deprived of sleep, of food, and hygiene, but they knew a lot about sex. Terrio, I think, like, but, at this point, I wonder, like, sometimes, like, the CAS workers that were there, like, because these kids weren't educated in any way possible except for from this dude, like, how is that acceptable? I don't, I don't know. Like, there are laws now. I'm there almost are, I know, but I don't know. I, like, I really don't know because what this guy was saying is, like, we just, the first time they went to the commune, they didn't have, like, in 84, they didn't. Oh, yeah. I guess they, he, they'd only heard rumors about right. stuff that was going on. 
And when they went there, I guess the kids seemed relatively okay. Who knows? Um, but when they went back after in 86, or I think it was 87, when they finally got all the kids out of there, all of this shit starts coming to light. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this is so terrible. Terrio and his teenage son had molested and raped the kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they participated in or watched adults masturbate. Here we go. The court ordered an independent assessment, and that team recommended the kids be returned to the commune. This is the this shit, is the, like, yeah. that I read, like, that I was just, like, I was livid. Yes, yes. Ugh, so. so furious, because I don't know, I like, I don't know what happened. Like, from the kids, the stuff that I read was not overly... Um, like not a lot of details came out and into why they made their decision. Well, I'll tell you, actually, I have some information about that. Okay. Okay. So, um, in this report, the assessment team praised Terrio's lifestyle and experimental sexual education tactics. They accused the government of wrongfully persecuting the group. Right. Okay. So in the end, the court ruled the kids be made wards of the crown. Thank God. The court also <laughs> remarked on this independent assessment, suggesting that those sympathetic to Terrio, all of whom were francophone, were swayed by cultural prejudice. So in this assessment, the people who had said, oh, we need to return the kids to Terrio, they were all francophone. Terrio and his group are francophone, but they're living in Ontario, living in an Anglo society. It's no, this, but there are just, there's this, like, just, oh, this is from... just sympathy for a francophone person being persecuted by an anglophone. But like, to be fair, that's and all it was. There are lots of francophone communities in Ontario. Yeah, but I'm just like, like this is what the judge said. He's like, I know, I know, you're but completely uh, blinded by this cultural prejudice. You don't care at all for the well-being of these children. You're just seeing a francophone being persecuted by an anglo system. So upsetting. Oh, my God. So it's just, it's awful. But the kids were rescued. Um, still, for whatever reason, I guess, not enough evidence to press charges against Terrio. Despite all it, like, anyway, Maurice. No, no, no. Like, I think, I think we have to flesh this out a little bit. Like, in the sense of evidence, you have to have, like, all they have are witness accounts that are essentially unreliable versus other witness accounts. Right. So, yeah. so, it so is. I mean, like you have to, you have to look at that, like from a purely legal point of view, as, a, as I understand it, as a non-expert, I would understand it as basically like one person's word against another. They no, can't I, prosecute yeah. someone on that. I know. And, and you can't, it's, it's so frustrating and upsetting now that we know the facts, but back then, what are you going to do? Yeah, there's no recording, there's nothing, it's just like one guy's word against another, and there's a shit ton of people, and some previous uh, experts that have testified that this is, like, all good, and that he's great. Yeah, and the one, this woman, Maurice, who, I guess, kind of, like, got the ball rolling a lot of the stuff and opened up uh, about what was happening on the commune, she actually wouldn't testify against Terrio, like, she's a, she's afraid of him. Um, so I guess that probably took the wind out of the sails of whatever right. prosecution was being mounted. So anyway, life went on at the commune. Terrio kept drinking, abusing his followers. 
Uh, and here we get into a long list of terrible things that he did. Um, he got mad at Claude and ordered him to walk around with an elastic band wrapped around his scrotum. Oh, I mean, for some people that's a thing, but not for... Uh, yeah, so Claude kept it on overnight, and his testicles were badly damaged because of it. Which, of course, gave Terrio another reason to operate. Oh. He cut this is, oh, he cut open Claude's scrotum, plucked oh. out the testicle with his fingers, and then cauterized the wound with a hot piece of iron. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He then held a vote. I feel like my dog's neutering was yeah. better than that. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee you it did. Oh. Terrio then held a vote on whether Claude should be stoned to death for offending God. Jeebus. The vote was no. So Terrio threatened to open up Claude's stomach with an acetylene torch. I think it's interesting, though, that he still puts it he down puts to, it to a, a vote. vote. Yeah. Exactly. And, then, and then he's just like, well, we could either do this or just open yeah. the stomach. And it's like, oh, you voted no. Shit, that's not what I was hoping. I'm going to threaten to cut this guy open with a torch. So Claude escapes into the woods. And he stayed there until Terrio sobered up. And hiding in the woods became commonplace among the followers. Whenever he got drunk, they would just take off into the woods and wait it out. Huh. Uh, okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. One night, Terrio threw a hunting knife at Giselle. It hit her in the leg. And the deep wound started gushing blood. He did nothing about it. Later nice. that night, a clot had formed and her leg got all swollen. Terrio pressed on the leg, which opened up the wound. And then he poked around in there. Oh. With, yeah, with a red... He read a whole bunch of medical textbooks. Like, shouldn't you know <laughs> Dude, that this like, shit is not good? Yeah, so he's like poking around inside her leg with this red hot iron file. Meanwhile, pouring boiling water over the wound. Oh, that's so terrible. So, a week later, this wound is infected. So, he fills it with salt, olive oil, and spruce gum. And after the leg had healed a little bit, I don't know how, Giselle (laughs) tried to escape, but she eventually returned to the commune and to Terrio. So, and this this happens with some other people. They escape to a safe place, but they always end up going back. All right. A list of the atrocities Terrio visited upon his devotees. Mm-hmm. He made them eat shit and dead mice. Right. He burned, literally. 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 literally shit. Ate shit. Yes. All right. He burned Jose's back with the acetylene torch. He burned Nicole's stomach the day after she gave birth for the first time. He hit Jacques in the head with a blunt axe and broke his ribs with a wooden club. He punched his son in the face when he refused to wrestle his brother. He beat Nicole when she was three months pregnant, causing her to miscarry. He shot Nicole through the shoulder. He broke Giselle's ribs with steel-toed boots. He squeezed Giselle's and Gabrielle's nipples with vice grips until they bled. Oh, here's what he did to Claude. In addition to that, uh, that circumcision that took place, or not circumcision, that castration, partial castration. Uh, he sprained his toes. He used this piece of glass to slice open his arm. He pulled eleven teeth out with pliers. He ordered oh. his wives to pluck all of his pubic hair. He poured boiling water over him. He made him sit on a hot stove. He had one of his wives break his legs with a sledgehammer. 
And then there's one wow. he did to Gabrielle. <laughs> yep. Okay, poor Gabrielle. He made Jacques pound her thigh with that sledgehammer. He squeezed her hand in a vice. He whipped her in the eye with a belt. He struck her with he stuck her with a needle full of stuff, nobody knows what, and then broke the tip off under her skin. He burned her breasts and genitals with the torch. He broke her fingers. He made her cut a hole in the ice and jump into the freezing water. He made Jack cut off half her left pinky finger with wire cutters. When Gabrielle's uterus prolapsed, Terrio punched it back inside her body. Oh! Yeah, that's disgusting. It's all disgusting, yeah. but this is this poor woman. Um, and then used some kind of like weird wooden cone to like plug her up, essentially. Oh, she, oh. She, yeah, she fled to a woman's shelter. She never saw a doctor uh, and returned to the commune. Mm. Terrio then tried oh he tied a string around the protruding bit of uterus mm. and yanked at it you know like a loose yeah, tooth yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, like just trying to pull it loose who and, the oh. fuck knows what he was trying to do um, a whole year passed before Gabrielle had the opportunity to get a partial hysterectomy and this only happened because I guess Terrio had left the country he was on a trip to Utah to visit polygamist Alex Joseph mm-hmm um, in the fall of 1988, Solange got sick. She complained of stomach problems, and Terrio said he would operate. She stripped nude and lay down on a wooden table. Terrio donned. He had, okay, so he had these robes that he would wear. So I guess in preparation for Solange's stomach surgery, he's going to put on the robes. Like, I just think I'm wearing, like, these old-timey, like, 19... 19- 40s robes or something like it's ugh. yeah he also had a crown he had so he had all this jewelry that he it was like costume jewelry all junk um but it was like his treasure and he was given this crown by um this guy alex joseph and joseph called him like king of the israelite i don't know he like it was there was weird shit going on there. So he gets all dressed up in his royal regalia um, to perform the surgery. So first thing he does, he punches her in the stomach. Oh, of course. And then gives her an enema or attempts to give her an enema of molasses and olive oil. <sighs> After that, he cut her open. I think mm-hmm. like on the right hand side below the ribs and pulled out a piece of her intestines with his bare hands. He then ordered Gabrielle to sew up Solange's stomach wound. Right. Uh, And then I think, like, made her take a bath. Or two baths. Made her take a hot bath, and she didn't feel good. Made her take a cold bath. She died the next day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gabrielle helped to bury her body in the woods. After Solange died, Terrio tried to kill himself. While attempting to drown himself, he claims, quote, a strange force entered my arms and tore the bindings from me. I came out of the water yelling, God doesn't want me to die. Terrio goes to Utah to visit Dr. Jess Grossbeck, who is a Mormon fundamentalist uh, with whom Terrio had become friends. Mm-hmm. Terrio made a number of trips to Utah to visit these people. Uh, Terrio first lied to Grosbeck about how Solange died, telling him that she had was an 
like uh, an eruption in her esophagus or something like like her throat exploded or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, I don't know why he felt like he had to lie. Anyway, lies to her about how she died. Um, and then tells him that he's having weird dreams in which Solange is inside of his body. And in some of these dreams, Solange takes shape from Terio's semen. Wow. So the two of them, Terio. As you do. As you do. (laughs) So the two of them, Terio and Gressback, become convinced that Solange would be the first reverse birth, which is a spiritual rebirth through the belly of a man. Oh. So Terio is, like, certain that he's pregnant with Solange. And here's where it gets really gross. When he returned to Ontario, Terio ordered Claude to exhume Solange's body and had Gabrielle pour vinegar on her internal organs. She was buried again, but then dug up once more, and Terio got Jacques to drill a hole in her head, into which he masturbated. He believed this would bring her back to life. Wow. So there's a little bit of necrophilia going on in this as well. Kinda, yeah. So it's well, like, not kinda, it's, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> like, it's like this idea, it's like, well, like, you know, because he, Solange will be reborn through his semen, which he has right. to spill in order for that to happen. Uh-huh. So if he, like, spills his seed all over her brain, it's gonna bring her back to life. Okay, so, I'm officially gross. totally so want to throw up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is gonna end soon, right? It's good. We're getting cl- we're getting there. Because this is me. like I'm. This is long, and I'm. I know. Fucking, I'm gonna I'm gross you out just a little bit more. Okay. And then we're gonna get to the end. Oh, good. <laughs> when he returned. Uh, okay. So sorry. Giselle told Terry Solange wanted to be cremated, and he agreed to do it. But not before he removed one of her ribs so he could carry it around with him. Oh, good. After the cremation, Terrio collected some of the cremains. He put them in a jar, which he would regularly masturbate into. Oh. Trying to bring about this reverse birth. Right. Which never worked. Okay. So, one more horrible story of uh, violence and mutilation. Right, and then we'll go on to, like, the legal recourse, and then, right? Well, and then we'll get into uh, how he got caught and what happened after that. In July 1989, during one of his drunken tirades, a number of women snuck into the woods to wait it out. Gabrielle, for whatever reason, didn't go, and so she caught his attention. Uh, he recalled that she had a stiff finger, so he told her to put her hand on the table. Did you read about this? Do you know what No. Oh, my God. No. All right, so. <laughs> no. Tells her to I know put her where, hand. I, I have a feeling I know where this is going. Maybe not. Puts her hand on the table, uh, which she does, and then he stabs her with a hunting knife, pinning her hand to the table. Oh. And then he leaves her there. She doesn't try to pull up the knife. She forces herself. Well, she would be like completely terrified. Yeah, forces herself to remain conscious for, I think, like 45 minutes or something like that. It comes back. Her whole arm has turned blue. Yeah. He gets another knife and starts cutting away at her arm. Like whittling away at the skin. This is between the shoulder and the elbow. I heard about this, but I did not know the details. Yeah, so he. 
whittles kind of down to the bone, then calls for Chantal to finish what he'd started. <laughs> and basically, like, she kind of cuts away, like, a strip of skin, like a band, all around the arm, exposing the bone. <laughs> Terio pulls the hunting knife out of the table, freeing Giselle, picks up a dull meat cleaver, and proceeds to chop off her arm. It took two tries, because the thing was so dull. Gabrielle. Okay, so now it's, again, like, sort of conflicting stories of what happens next. Um, she did stay for a little while longer after the amputation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how many days, but at least two or three. She arrives in hospital on August 16, 1989. So the amputation was in July. She goes to the hospital in August. Right. Um, she, like, finally had had enough, got the fuck out of there. And I, what I read was that she, in fact, hitched to Toronto. Right. Um, police file a charge of aggravated assault against Terrio. And when they go out to arrest him on August 19th, the commune's deserted. Right. Six weeks later, Terrio is arrested in a makeshift camp where he'd planned to spend the winter with two of his followers. Uh, this was on October 6th, which happens to be the same day that Gabrielle told the cops about Solange's death. So initially, he's going to be charged with aggravated assault. Yeah, and now he's going to be charged with second-degree murder. With murder. Well, with murder, and then they decide second-degree, right? Well, okay, so here's the story about the murder charge. Um, They wanted to charge him with first-degree murder, um, but there was no proof that her death was premeditated. So Terrio, in fact, pleads guilty to second-degree murder, and this is a deal that he makes so that no more charges are brought against him. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, but he gets life. It's a life sentence. Right. And before the judge handed down Terrio's life sentence, um, Justice Demaret asked him if he had anything to say. And now I will read you an excerpt of what I believe was a very long monologue. Distinguished lawyers, members of the court, your honor. These past three years of incarceration have induced me to do a complete about-face on the storm of unusual behavior in my inner self. It is with the good faith of my inner vibrations that I come before you. I recognize that the justice system fulfilled its duty by placing me behind bars. Over several years, I made myself an odious character, an incontestable master compelled undetectably by my own will, by the oddities and the debaucheries of my way of thinking into which I had surreptitiously mixed love, hate, religion, labor, alcohol, and violence in my body's helpless state. I nourished my soul with the follies of grandeur. I have inflicted on myself mental wounds whose invisible scars I will carry for the rest of my life. Some of these scars will remain particularly vivid, such as the ones I created when I carried out the folly of my fury, traumatizing, mutilating, and inflicting suffering on the members of my entourage, and more particularly, the events that led to the premature death of Solange Boilard. I made a criminal of myself. Allow me to plead for clemency for those who may have put themselves at risk before the law and society by going to live in the slavery of that hell. 
I was the leader of that commune, and I take full responsibility for all the misdeeds committed during its existence. With dignity and a new integrity, I will serve whatever sentence the court deems suitable. Pretty eloquent. Yeah, well, I mean, most cult leaders are like yokels when they speak. No, yeah, they're... Yeah. <laughs> like, to be fair, like, you're not going to follow guys like, y'all going to come hey, here. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Terrio was initially incarcerated in Millhaven. And like Charles Manson, he still has sway over his followers, and three of his women, three of his wives, moved to be uh, moved to Bath uh, so they could be close to him. Mm-hmm. He even fathered more children while he was inside. Oh, and, good. Yeah, isn't that lovely? He was, even though they were like these women were his wives, he was only allowed to have conjugal visits with one of them. Why can't I get a date? But Jesus. I know. I <laughs> anyway. But he actually, he, he, these, like, I think they were all having conjugal visits. So I don't know what was going on anyway. Um, when he was offered a transfer to another prison, a lower security unit, he refused because he wanted to be near his wives. Ugh. Isn't that beautiful? So, oh, so nice. So generous. Here we go. This is the end. Terrio was sentenced to life from prison on January 18, 1993. He was denied parole in 1999 and found dead near his cell at Dorchester on February 26, 2011. Really? That that reason? Yeah. He oh. was killed by his cellmate, Matthew Gerard McDonald, who stabbed him in the neck with a shiv. Huh. After the stabbing, McDonald walked over to the guard station, handed them the knife, and said, That piece of shit is down the range. Here's the knife. I've sliced him up. Ooh. And that is the end of Rush Terrio and the Ant Hill Kids. Oh. Well, the end as we know it, anyway. The end as we know it. I don't. I don't know what these women are up to, but he did. And there is there. There actually. Um, there's a documentary about the Ant Hill Kids, in which Giselle is interviewed, and so she speaks oh. about her time in the cult. And all it's it's like it's interesting. It's I well, think worth I'll put po- I'll post the link to it. I think it's worth watching. Right. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So there you go. Well, thank you for that. I don't like I don't want to go too much. Like I read some stuff on the psychology of this stuff, but I mean like. But like I, maybe help us better understand, um, how and why this stuff happens. Like, how come these people, even though he was, like, breaking limbs and severing limbs, why did they stay? Well, I mean, so it comes a lot from from what I've read. Uh, a lot ha- has to do with kind of, like, the social implications. Like, these people are generally not having a, like... Like, I know they're looking... There's- they're looking for something. They're searching well, no, for something, and he... So, so was, cult leaders cult leaders, kind of, like, take away a past of a person. Like, so a lot of these people do not come from usually the most stable background. Some do, but not a lot do. They're looking for something else, whether it be a leader, a certain type of um, uh, lifestyle. Like, it depends on, like, which cult it is, right? So, and they start, they get adopted into these things. Like, a lot of cults start looking to um 
adopt and get followers from places like bus stations and subways and so on and so forth, right? Does, like, does it start off like that? It's like, you know what? I'm going to start a cult. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to find the downtrodden and the disillusioned and the disaffected and the needy. Like, I don't know if it started like that for this guy. He just... Well, it's progressive. It's never, it's never like yeah. one thing over another. And like, like honestly, I'm not an expert, so I can't say like I'm just going on the literature that I've read, right? So I, for something like this, it, it seems to be like usually they believe in themselves as being something special, right? It's not a psychopathy issue. It's not anything. It's just like they believe that they are something special. And then usually it has to do with something that's counter as in this case to an upbringing that they've had. Like a lot of them have to do with something that's like counter to Catholicism or to a religious um, aspect. So they were told in, you know, when they were kids that they had to be in, from an orthodox perspective something or uh, oh, like just a specific view of what their religious religion is, right? So then from that perspective, they then kind of like, they adopt the fact that they should be good and this is what good is. And then they kind of warp it as far as I'm concerned. Like it, it's really weird, Rach. Like you can't put them all into a box because this, this case is really specific and all of the cases, you look at Charles Manson, you look at like, um, the Haley's Comets kids, yeah. like they're all, like they all have certain patterns from the followers, but all of the guys, like Waco, Texas, like you come at all these things and like they're all very different in the way that they came to be. But usually there is some forcibly orthodox or traumatizing view, um, that, gets them involved into thinking that there's so much better. But but there has to be, but for the followers though, okay, so for the cult leaders, maybe their genesis is very case specific. But for the followers, I feel like there's got to be some kind of commonality among these people wherein they're like, they're searching for something and he's got the answer. They make, he makes them feel good about themselves Stuff like that. Well, it's a, it's a belonging, right? A lot yeah. of the times it's a belonging. And it, it, it could be social, it can be economic, it can be, like, there's so many varieties of, of what the person thinks that they can bring bring them in, right? So uh, a lot of the time also, like, the whole fact that he kept them tired and working, like, that was yeah. a big part of all cults. And isolated. Like, he kept them yeah. isolated. Absolutely. He, like, any religion that keeps people... And that's what it is. It's, it's a religion to a certain like yeah. respect, right? So it's it's keeping them isolated. It's keeping them uh, indoctrinated, but also tired. Um, as we know from uh, tip, typical brainwashing techniques, like if you're cold and you're tired and you're frustrated, you're going to just listen to whoever is going to tell you what the best way is and like the positive aspects of it. Right. And then also you're bonding with your community cause you're all in it together. Yeah. So there's there. Yeah. I mean, um, like depression, fear, like guilt, paranoia, like, like these things can also play in it. You can also draw into people that have maybe, um, uh, mental issues as well. Like they'll, they'll start to play into it as well. Like they'll be drawn into these things because they 
are going to want to join these clubs. Like it's just, or clubs or cults or whatever. Like it's just, it's as a very, like the specific, there's no specific studies that can do this. As we talked about prior to the podcast, like you can't get run a study on a cult. You can't organize a cult and then study its followers. Exactly. So we have to go on just case studies of people who've been in cults, but they're all, so specific it's very hard to nail it down right so it's like there's tons of literature but nothing's really definitive because of that problem of the fact that anything is like morally reprehensible if you ran a study on it yeah so i can't really offer you a lot of answers except for what is in the literature kind of on it like it's just it's it's not sorry i I looked but okay all right then um, should we move on? Light, let's lighten things up a little with some. Oh words. yeah, because that would be great. Because like <laughs> I'm gonna like fucking shoot myself in the head. Like, I'm gonna okay, have so. a bottle of wine tonight. Jesus, this yeah. has been so so. This one has this been, has been heavy. heavy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and I did warn you that. Yeah, was, you did, and I'm and I'm glad you warned. T- it was gonna take a turn. Yeah. Okay, so lightening the mood. All right. So, do you have a weird case? Okay, I have some weird, weird crime news. All right. This is the headline. Mm -hmm. Woman claims sexual style assault by restaurant's pee-pee doll. What? Okay, so, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) You know, you need a little bit more to figure that one out. Yeah. So, there's this Japanese steakhouse. In, I want to say, Tennessee. Yes, Tennessee. Uh, and you, we've, we've been to a Japanese steakhouse before. There's like a lot of showmanship and it's a performance to cook your meal. Yeah. Um, in front of the diners. And as a way of, I guess, cleaning the grill, the chef, um, sprays water on the grill. Yes. And so. Or oil sometimes. Or oil. Yes. So. The chef at this restaurant had this little doll uh, that's that's a spritzer, and you you pull down his pants, and water comes out of the doll's crotch. That's hilarious. (laughs) And so this woman got sprayed in the face by this doll. Did she tip him extra? (laughs) So... um, here, quoting, quoting the restaurant manager, the kids like it, they think it's a water gun. Uh, the woman's husband called the spring a sexual style assault on my wife. Oh. <laughs> right? The couple called the police and filed a report. Oh my god. Uh, the episode All happened right. in front of our minor children and grandchildren. The woman added it really didn't have to have a wiener, but you got the point. So essentially she's claiming that she was Assaulted. Assaulted by right. a spritz bottle that looks like a doll okay. is peeing. Oh, that's so stupid. <laughs> so stupid. Lighten up. All right. Well, I have a strange Canadian law for you. I'm excited to hear it. All right. Well, in in the Victoria neighborhood of Oak Bay, that I'm sure we're all familiar with. Of course, I know where Oak Bay is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I hope you don't have a parrot. Why? Well, I hope you don't have a noisy parrot. <laughs> because if it talks um, loudly, yeah. you can be fined $100. Oh, my God. 
is it just parrots? Uh, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> like if I have a loud Apparently. Dog, apparently. <laughs> oh, got it. <laughs> Noisy parrots in yeah. Oak Bay. Okay. Victoria. Yeah. Victoria. <laughs> Find a hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I will, if and when I get a parrot and I teach him to swear loudly, mm-hmm. I will remember. It's not even like, it's not even swearing. swearing. It's just. Well, if I have a parrot, I'm going to teach it how to swear. Come on. Yeah. Like, let's be honest with ourselves here. Um, so yes, I will make sure that my cursing parrot and I don't move to Oak Bay, Victoria. <laughs> Exactly. Pirates are out. No pirates in Oak Bay. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. That's all that. I got. That. Yeah, no worries. I, I just thought that that would be an interesting fact for all of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this has been an extra long episode of True North Crime. Um, totally a long episode, yeah. hope we didn't bum you out too much with that awful story of the Angel oh. Kids. But now you're a little bit more informed about how the awful, terrible things that exist in our past. I'm just going to be quiet because I'm going to rock myself. You're going to rock yourself to sleep tonight? Have another glass of wine. Maybe another bottle. Maybe Um, three. three. So I guess um, until next time, I've been Rachel. I've been Shelly. And stay safe out there. Oh my god, please. Don't join a cult. Do it. And don't have a talking parrot. No loud parrots.